Lord, the whole Corinthian church had been affected by this individual. And now the Apostle Paul tells them how to move forward. Father, we thank you for this uh, text that gives us hope for the restorative work of your spirit. We love you. We ask you to help us with this text and help us to glean from it the kind of grace that's there and the kind of the kind of uh, restoration that we could all engage in really on a daily basis with our spouses, with our uh, children, with our friends in church. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Okay, so what happened at Corinth? Um, there's a couple different interpretations of who is this person. So I'm taking the traditional view of who they are, and that is that this person is the same person who is recounted for us in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 1. And this is what the Apostle Paul had to say to the Corinthians. There was sexual immorality in the church, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So that incestuous situation had been sort of tolerated by the Corinthians. And Paul's first letter was to address, look, a, a Christian doesn't act this way. And so when a church is called upon, here in the Presbyterian church, we have elders uh, who have been voted uh, as representatives of, this, uh, of the care that's needed in a church. When a church is called upon, um, it is called upon to act toward an individual in such a way that will help them be restored. That's the point. The key text is Galatians 6.1. If any among you is spiritual, and if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore, there it is, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, lest you yourselves be caught in the temptation as well. The point is, when the church is having to deal with sin, this is, unrepentant sin, then this church must act. There are private sins that are known only among a few. Then there are public sins, which can be a scandal upon the church. Now, the non-believer, they know we're sinners. The problem is, do we know we're sinners? And uh, if we don't... uh, address sin within the church, then it can bring a scandal on the church. So that church there uh, in Orlando uh, understood that they had to take care, again, the timing, and they had to take care of their issues before the word got out into the public. And so the elders did a very good job in providing guidance for the church. 
So this person is under the discipline of the church. Now what this means is that they are treated well, as well, one who is considered a non-believer. Now we don't know anyone's heart. There's no judgment about their spiritual condition. and There's only a judgment about no Christian engages in this activity and remains unrepentant. So it's just a, it's a judgment about one's behavior. And of course, the hope is that there will be godly sorrow and there will be restoration. The classic marks of the church, by the way, this is going into the history of the church, is that you have the, it's a good question, what actually defines a church? I mean, what, you know, gathering of people who, what is a church? Three traditional classic marks of a church. Gospel preaching, the right administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. Um, so, discipline, again, is for the restoration. And of course, now we have the good news, Second Corinthians chapter 2, that Paul has discerned this individual is genuinely sorrowful, genuinely repentant, and he describes, the Apostle Paul describes what repentance looks like in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but sorrow of the world produces death. Now Paul is commending the Corinthians with these words. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this, uh, this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you have demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Well, the Corinthians listened to Paul. Now, they must listen to Paul once again. And Paul is an advocate. He's an advocate for this individual. And just, just imagine this for a while. Just think about this. Think about how upsetting this person's sin would be for your family, for your sense of, you know, safety in the church. Think, think about it. This is like, this is a big, this is big. It's a very serious thing. And there would be a sense in which, yes, it makes sense that they're no longer part of this church, right? There'd be a sense that we, we can't have someone like that here, Right? What's remarkable, though, is that there's the call to forgive and to restore. Of course, these things happen. We shouldn't be surprised that there's sin in the church. We should actually be increasingly able to personally deal with perhaps an individual that we're aware is participating in some sin. We should be able, we should be an agent Individually, an agent to help them, to restore them. We should own their, their struggle. People who have an arm's length view of the church, who sort of attend and kind of, well, it's, it's nice, I like it, I like their worship. Yeah, I like the preaching once in a while, yeah, it's good. In other words, they... They don't really own the ministry. 
well, the idea of forgiving someone or drawing close to them, that's not even going to be part of, the, part of the equation. A friend of mine does training for nonprofits, and he uh, has this illustration. He says, do you ever wash your rental car before you return it? And the answer is no, because you don't own it, right? Well, this is washing the rental car, <laughs> because this is washing your own car, see? So if you, keep, if you have an arm's length view of the church, or you're sort of like, yeah, I keep, I keep a distance, well, then this is sort of irrelevant to you. If the church is vital to you, if, you have a, if God has worked in you a love for the church, if you're a member of the church, if you're participating in its work and its worship to the best of your ability, one of the vows here in membership, then it matters to you. In many ways, uh, that night when we drove home, think about the the young teenager children. Now, let, just let you know, kids were in that meeting as well. Seven-year-olds were in that meeting. And it was, you talk about a powerful lesson, right? A remarkable, powerful lesson of being caught in sin, which is something we all do and can be caught in. If you keep a distance from the church, then you will not be engaged. But they are under the authority to listen to Paul, and he is an advocate. Let Let me give you, what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, included in your worship folder there on on the sermon page, a quote from Lewis Smeads, who wrote several books in the 70s on this subject of forgiveness. I recommend his stuff. He says, You will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. That's what Paul is doing. He's turning their hearts, they got it down, to treat the one as a non-believer means, doesn't mean you need to be cruel to them. If they have a flat tire on the, on the poly highway, you pull over and help them. It means that you're no longer golf buddies with them. This means that the church has to help them come to an awareness of what's happened. But now the church is called to identify, to connect emotionally, and to work at forgiveness. And this takes work. And you you begin this process where you want to, you may not always get there, to feel the power to wish them well. So they're under under the Apostle Paul to forgive. And Paul says that the punishment, it's actually kind of a word that means censure, is enough. Verse 6, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive, look at the end of that verse, sorrow. And so Paul is working to help them be a redeeming community. The purpose of church discipline is restoration, not condemnation. 
Now, who evaluates the repentance? Now, in a congregational church, it's a little bit tricky because everyone sort of has to make a decision about this, and I don't even know sure how, how it works. Maybe some of you know. In Presbyterian church, you get much more involved in the details, and if needed, there would be a representation of the elders' work if needed. So what's at stake? What's at stake is a person here who needs to be restored. And when someone has messed with your church, it's hard to have compassion with them or for them. Do you remember Matthew 18 where Jesus says these unique words, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and some people are binding Satan and you know, all this sort of thing. And it's actually a judicial thing. It's actually when Jesus says, where two or three are, are gathered together in my name, that's Matthew 18, there I am in the, their midst, meaning when they have something right, judicially, if they are right, notice how I'm saying that, <laughs> if they are correct, it is correct in heaven as well. So, this is a moment when uh, there was a time when the, the person who uh, committed this flagrant, scandalous sin was being held accountable and was bound by Scripture. See? Bound by Scripture that says this is prohibited. And the church held the person responsible to be bound by Scripture. Now, Paul is saying, but repentance, genuine repentance, looses the individual, sets them free, sets them free. And what would it be to no longer be bound or to be loosed means to be readmitted into the fellowship of the church. That's what Paul is instructing the Corinthians to do. Now, comfort, comfort's another question here. What is comfort in this context? Comfort really is coming from uh, a, a place of authority. It's a, true, it's a true thing that we need to be instructed in order to be agents of restoration. Each of us have our own wisdom. Each of us say, I'm not going there. I'm not dealing with that person. I won't ever do this. We all have our, our conclusions about these things. This is how I treat people at work. This is what we do. I was always raised this way. Here the Corinthians are, turn, are told to turn, forgive, and provide comfort. Work at a restorative relationship with the person. What this means, of course, is that you don't hold this sin against the person. You don't bring it up. You seek to rebuild a friendship with them if that is possible. Now, Paul is being an advocate for this person in the same spirit of 1 John 2.1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. So it is really an extension of the ministry of Jesus. In fact, every worship service is a way of being restored in your relationship to God, isn't it? Every worship service. I hope you have been repenting this morning. I hope I've been repenting. 
So in many ways, we can all connect with this and say, oh, I understand that. Of course, at that particular meeting, again, I'm going back to the Orlando meeting, none of us left that meeting self-righteous, I guarantee you. None of us left the meeting as if we had some sort of, you know, some sort of condemnation for these people. Our hearts broke for them. So to, what does it mean to comfort in this context? It means we must listen to those who are authorized to help guide us. Paul is essentially exhorting the Corinthians, love this person. And then lastly, this, this thought here is, how does, how does Satan try to outwit us here? Paul actually brings up Satan here. He brings up, he says here, he says that, he says, so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. And then I want to skip down to verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So here it is. You've got to love him, otherwise we're going to be outwitted by Satan. You've got to embrace him. You can't let him be in his sorrow. You cannot let him be overwhelmed by his sorrow, lest we cooperate with Satan. Satan attends church, by the way. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, he's seen Christians. Uh, if he learns anything, he, he knows Christians over the centuries. And Satan is going to get into our, uh, I don't know, our behavior in some way or another. Somewhat of a mystery, isn't it? How he works among us. It's kind of a mystery. Paul is saying, he, this man is sorrowful. Now don't let Satan use this to crush him. There's a sorrow for sin which keeps the soul from looking to Christ. And there's a sorrow for sin that says... The person thinks, I guess I have fallen from grace so far that I cannot be restored. Satan is looking to a weakness within the church and her judgments. Some want the church to be so holy that they are glad or they are not that concerned, I should probably say, that a person has left. But something marvelous has taken place. A person has been awakened from sin. I mean, <laughs> I, hope, I hope this is good news. They see sin's grip on them. No one is more bitter toward the body of Christ than Satan. And we hold forth how he was foiled every time we worship. We hold forth the wisdom of God to use the condemnation of the world and the condemnation of the devil, we hold forth that God outwitted Satan in a human body. And Jesus is speaking life to his church. We are all the recipients of restorative grace. And I hope you know that the restorative grace that's underway in you includes repentance. 
In fact, you will not make progress in the Christian life unless you repent. And I hope you're discovering more and more about what it looks like to repent. Think about how this person should reflect on how they were welcomed back. Think about it. Let's put five years later, they, they've been welcomed back and they're reflecting on it and they're giving a little testimony in church and they say something like this. I had a gospel experience of recovery. I met with brothers who could identify with my selfishness. I met with sisters who could understand my pain. As I discovered what gripped my heart, they were for me. Some of you can become really good at this. And I think most of us can engage in this restorative ministry pretty well. I learned, perhaps the person reflects, I learned that at my core, I am still not over hating God. I learned at my core, I am still ruled by various lusts. I realize now that I let mood chasing rule my life. Is that, can, you th- can you sense any relief in our culture if someone were to experience that? The things that are ruling their hearts. I found others who understood me. And of course, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, which means he works to convince us He he works to convince us that sin defines us and separates us from the love of God. To To outwit Satan in this context, I would suggest, sounds like this. O Corinthians, you must pour out restorative love, lest one in your midst believe they don't have a redeemer. That their sins define them. That their sorrow for sin is not precious, but worthless. And in the end, can only, they can only be loved if they earn love. Perhaps it is true that these people are right in their aloofness that I can't be loved by God. Oh, Corinthians, rescue this brother from this, this thinking. See, Satan would say to us, grace can only go so far, and after that, sheer judgment. To restore such a one means that we have to engage in in an emotional environment for their good. No cutting comments, no strange questions, carefully thought through interactions, wise and uplifting words. The restorative grace is is opposite of how Satan would have the church live. So it's the rebuilding of a person's joy by being included in the fellowship. Wondering how this all resonates with you. I hope that you have a love for the church and a love for each other, that you will be watchful for each other. You will watch for bitterness. You will watch for tendencies. You will be be open to asking hard questions of each other helping each other to be wary and watchful. How do we understand our role? We are agents of restoration. We are to be bold in identifying with a fellow sinner ensnared in sin. 
God is glorified by restorative agents in the church. The heavy lifting of counseling and prayer can be, he- can be done by many of you. It's also the work of the elders. The elders will work with a repentant individual. A re- restorative ministry includes prayer for the elders. And this restorative ministry connects right with the Trinity itself. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit desire restored sinners to join them in fellowship. And when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy burdened, he's speaking to those who have been caught in sin. To come to Jesus means in the context of a church, I have friends. Friends who can be entrusted with where the story went off kilter where the story became a false story where I bought into a false dream where I wanted to be in charge of my life and make my life happen the restoration of an individual can be one of the most precious things a church engages in because people become restoried they begin a new way of being understanding the story that they are in. This is kind of wild stuff. Condemnation, law orientation is how we are wired. We are not wired for grace. Condemnation should reign. Darkness should suffocate. But in Christ, a cool, life-giving breeze enters the room. There is grace for you and there is grace for me. And there are grace, is grace for sinners who have been caught in sin, who now repent and are looking to us, to us to help them be restored. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's the work of restorative grace. Through Jesus on the cross, God does not, account, does not count our sins against us. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that the, the cool breeze of restorative grace would uh, fill, fill our hearts. Father, we are uh, flawed. We are those who need wisdom. Um, Help us to listen well. Father, I I don't know who is being tempted in a way that would draw them into into a kind of a catastrophic experience. And Father, I pray that you would deliver them, deliver all of us, as we've already prayed, deliver us from evil. Father, thank you for your your kindness in this passage that that the restorative grace is a way of putting someone else, someone back into the story of your redemption. We love you. Thank you for this passage. Help us to become better at it and to learn 
what it means to care for each other, even in this difficult way of ministering to, uh, to an individual. We love your church. Help us to help us to love you as a result of your care for the church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.